Welcome to the Data Dive Podcast, a podcast where we share the stories of real-world data-driven applications in various industries, hear how some of the most innovative companies are being built, and much more. I'm your host, Abraham Cherian, the founder of Data Dive, an international youth-driven organization focused on developing data literacy among the next generation. This episode is a continuation of our previous episode, where we brought on Antonio Ivanovsky to the podcast. Antonio began his data science career at UPS before heading to Verizon to work as an AI product manager. Currently, Antonio works as a senior data analyst at Google. In this episode, Antonio and I discuss scaling AI and data-driven solutions, how his early data science work taught him valuable lessons, Antonio's YouTube channel, AI with AI, and much more. And so what are some of the best data science tools that you use for your work at Google? Sure, yeah. So this is at Google, and this is actually very important. A lot of the tools are internally built. So you don't really use Tableau or Power BI and stuff because you have a lot of data and you need a lot faster tools to kind of process that stuff. I think the one tool that you're going to use anywhere you're going to go is SQL. If I have to tell anybody who ever asked me, what tool should I learn? Learn SQL. I don't care if you know Python, if you know R, you can know anything. If you don't know SQL and you can't get your own data, I don't think you are going to be as successful as you could be. So even though Google has internal SQL tools that are slightly different, that kind of syntax, it's still the general idea behind it is going to be the same. People, again, they, some people use Python. We do some some graph graph mining and things like that. But in terms of tools, don't learn a specific tool. Like a lot of people are like, oh, Antonio, should I learn Tableau or Power BI? Just say, why not both? Learn when to use a bar chart, when to use a line graph, learn when to build like, you know, when to put the KPIs and how to present KPIs and tell a story rather than learning about tools. Because the three companies I've worked at, every company has used very different tools. And, you know, if you're just like a jack of one trade, then you're, you know, you might kind of get overwhelmed. So that's why I always try to just learn as much as possible or learn kind of like the basics of everything and and then go from go from there. What inspired you to write your book called The AI Journey? <laughs> yeah. So I always struggled when I was talking to people, especially when I was relatively young, right? I'm trying to advance my career. And I would talk to like people who are maybe like 10, 20 years into their career, right? And I'm like, hey, I really want this raise. I deserve it, you know, or this is where I want to take my career. And they're like, Antonio, be patient, man. It's not all about the money. It's not all about the position. And I always told myself like, okay, you're making half a million dollars and you're 20 years into your career. To you, obviously it's not. If I was making half a million dollars, I wouldn't care about like, you know, it's not all about the money. It's easy to say that. So basically I was struggling to to relate to these people who were giving me advice, you know, like, oh, and don't worry about your promotion. Just wait another year. I'm like, I don't want to wait another year. You know, like I deserve it now. I want this now, you know? (laughs) I don't have a year to wait. So I posted on LinkedIn and one night I just sat down and I just wanted to write some articles. It was like midnight. 
and something got into me. I write, ended up writing that night about like 15 different like sections. And I was like, wait, this could be an actual like could be an actual book because it was all connected. And it was all, I think, I, on LinkedIn, when you post things, things kind of can get lost because different people post and no, there's no really easy way to go and find your stuff. So I'm like, let me collect this and actually turn this into a book. And I think from a personal, like, ego standpoint, I mean, how cool is it to say that you wrote a book, you know? I Back in the day, you had to get things published and you had to work with different things and you had to satisfy publishers. Now with the internet, I made a website, published a book on there in five minutes, and it was done. You know, you can use Gumroad and start selling your book within 15 minutes of work. So I think the internet has really opened up a lot of different avenues. And if you want to be an author today, you could become an author. You want to be like, you know, like a movie creator, just get a camera and start shooting things. And it's going to it's going to happen. So that's, I think, uh, really great. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. So in your book, The AI Journey, you said that your greatest skill as a data analyst was making your colleagues feel that they could accomplish anything with their team and making them feel safe. So could you elaborate a little bit on why you think these two skills in particular are so vital? Sure. So to me, that seems obvious now, making people feel confident and safe let's say you work in as a data analyst, you're this young person, you're out of college, you know, the new technologies, let's say, you know, there's a lot of people who've been there for a while, maybe they're not as technical that you work with, because, and then you try to solve their problems. If you come in and just try to take over, I mean, you're threatening basically somebody's job, you know, everybody talks about, oh, is my job going to get automated? Nobody wants you to take away their job. If people don't like you immediately, like, oh, like this person is like really great and he can just like automate my job like this, they might be a little hesitant of how, maybe even if they don't know it, you know, it's it, you still feel threatened. We're still people. So I always approached it as like, hey, what's happening? You know, like friendly, like what can I, What what is your biggest problem that I can solve for you or like that you hate doing, right? If you love doing something, maybe, just keep doing it. But there's always something that us as data analysts, scientists, we can automate something that people do not like doing, like some automated, some like manual report that could just be made easier, like just get this thing off my hands. And I told them, like, let me take this for you so that I'm not trying to take your job. I'm trying to help you focus on other things that matter to you because you don't like doing this report. And you like doing this other thing, whatever that might be. So I'm actually going to give you extra time to focus on that. So that kind of like opens people up. It's like, okay, he's uh, this person is here to like help me. And this is and this is vital because people have to like you if, if you want to work with them and have like that great relationship. And what that does is you're let's say now you're not new anymore. You help them with their problem and this now they remember you as like this person who saved them like 10 hours of this very boring thing they used to do. Next time when they have a problem, who do you think they're going to come to? They're going to come to you. Hey, Abraham. Hey, Antonio. Last time you solved this problem for me, I have this really big project that's coming up. 
I don't know who to go to. You're the first person that came to my mind. And now you're like, oh, let's go. Like, let's do this. So now you went from doing this tedious work and now they're opening up to you. They're he you're hearing about their problems and that just opens up a ton of opportunities. And these people talk, you know, it's office. Uh, now, I mean, I know where most of us are in the office now, but people talk, you know, oh, Antonio helped me save this. And, you know, like you have a problem, you should go into Antonio. You, he knows how to do these things, you know, and you start hearing about different, pro different projects. And eventually you start picking and choosing which ones you want to focus on, because obviously you can't do everything. But then you started building up. I started building up that. And once I left, I got that because everybody that messaged me when I was leaving, like when I was leaving Verizon was like, oh, Antonio, I'm going to like miss working with you because, you know, it was always fun. And it was, you know, it was kind of like you we were confident and we knew we could get this done because of you. Because I never said, oh, uh, I don't know how, how I'm going to do this. I would like open up Google. And if, it's a, if it was on Stack Overflow, I'll figure out a way to solve it for you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's wonderful that your colleagues had that trust in you to ask you for help whenever they needed it. And I think uplifting them and having that optimistic mindset was critical in helping them solve those challenging problems. Right. I think that was like a, a big thing for me. And I definitely couldn't solve. If something couldn't be solved, I would just tell them like, I don't know if we can do this. We can give it a try. Or a lot of times, and this is a very important skill as an analyst, scientist, whatever we want to call it, is trying to simplify things and looking at it from a different way. Maybe I can't solve your actual problem that you're asking for, but maybe I can solve a part of it, right? If you're trying to kind of like, predict let's say you're a person online and you're trying to predict what phone is the next customer going to buy maybe i can't predict what phone the person is going to buy but i can say well let's build a model trying to predict is this person more likely to buy a samsung or an iphone so now you went from this very big area of like what phone is this person going to buy to a very simple two-choice classification problem, Samsung or iPhone, right? So it might not get you 100% to what you were looking for initially, but at least we're getting started somewhere. So that's kind of like a very, another very important skill is kind of, if I can, let's not take up too much work. Let's break it down into pieces and see what, what we can accomplish that way. Yeah, that's huge. So I think you touched a little bit on this like in previous questions, but what are some skills that data scientists can develop, either non-technical or technical, which could really be beneficial for their work? Yeah. SQL, again, I'm going to say SQL, SQL, SQL is so much because it is so important. Even if you, you say, I don't want to be a data scientist and tomorrow you want to be, right now, you want to be a financial analyst, you want to do something, you need, you need SQL because a lot of the data, you, Excel can't open like more than a million rows or whatever the number is. And a lot of the data right now is so big, so much bigger. A lot of people that I work with who were non-technical, I will tell them, learn SQL. Because a lot of times people are like, hey, Antonio, can you do this for me? And I will be like very busy, maybe working on a lot of projects. I'm like, if you just knew simple SQL, like you could do this on your own and you don't have to wait on me, you know. So that's always the number one. For people who are starting out, I always say pick one visualization tool. and just create some dashboards because 
a lot of the work that you're going to do at the beginning is probably going to be reporting. I don't know if, right, at least I didn't start like just walking through the job in one day and they're like, oh, Antonio, build is the greatest production machine learning model we've ever seen, you know, because I definitely, it definitely requires some bigger skill set than where I was at. Uh, so just learning a visualization tool and learning the techniques, like I said, learning when to use each, like bar graph or line chart, I think that's very valuable as well. Because while a lot of the data world, like if you read online, everybody's talking about deep learning and about like computer vision and things like that. You walk into a company and tell me how many companies actually like do deep learning or like computer vision on a massive level, you're going to walk in there and 80% of the companies are still like using like basic Excel and it's solving most of their problems, you know? So they don't need you to, to do deep learning. So I think starting something like that, like SQL, Excel, uh, no SQL. Well, definitely Excel, sorry, definitely Excel, but learning SQL and learning a visualization tool and then you can start introducing like Python or an R or some kind of programming language that you're interested in. So I'm kind of slowly, slowly starting to, to build that up. From what you've seen so far, do you think being, you know, really strong in one or two areas or having a broad knowledge of various topics is more valuable for data analysts? I think it depends. I think each one's going to have pros and cons. For me, I've been that person who's had a broad knowledge of different topics, and that has worked out for me because I've moved around. If you become kind of an expert in one area, and then you kind of switch to another company, you might kind of like, okay, like I was totally immersed into this one topic, and now this is like totally different, so I'm starting from scratch. But I'm all, I've always been kind of that person who like, I get interested in a lot of things. Like I always have too many things to do and not enough time to do everything. So that's why I've always <laughs> started more projects than I can like handle. So I am more of that, like jack of all trades. Um, but that enabled me great as a product manager because I was able to talk to the data scientists, understand their problems. I was able to talk to the data engineers and understand their world. Could I go and like, switch jobs with a data engineer and try to like do the data pipelines and do everything they do. No, like that was kind of what I lacked, but I didn't need to do that in the role that I was. I just needed to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. And then just, you know, kind of go from there. But if you are very passionate about one area and you could also like take that and run with that as well, like maybe you want to be a data engineer. And if you, Become like the best data engineer like in the world, you know. I mean, that is a every you can work at any company as well. So, I guess that's not a like definite answer of what's better. I think it's just more of like kind of what kind of person you are or what you're what you're looking for uh, in your career. Because again, like I like switching things up. I don't always like being in the same role, so that was always kind of one of the things for me. But that has also kind of stopped me from becoming that one expert in a single topic. You know, like I know a lot about different things, but I don't know. I don't have too many things where I'm like, oh, I'm like a top expert in this one subject, you know. Gotcha. So on your YouTube channel, you talked about how uh, in one of your early data science roles, you were, you know, really, really eager to do predictive analytics and your job didn't really reflect that. And I guess this was, you know, the time you just got out of college. 
So you were hoping like, you know, you would really be doing predictive analytics work. So at first you try to approach your work by, you know, applying what you learned in school and using Python and more complex tools while, you know, all you really needed was Excel. And then you just try to use the methods your company suggested. And you said that doing that actually opened up a lot more doors for you to do predictive analytics. So talk about how approaching your work in the manner your company intended to ended up actually being more beneficial to you by allowing you to eventually pursue the work that you wanted with predictive analytics that you were, you know, vying to do once you left college. Like I said, I was studying machine learning in in school. So I thought that was what the world was going to be like, you know. I walk into my company like day one and they give me some like 100 rows or something in Excel. And I start building a machine learning model in Python with it. It took me like a week to do this thing. And I, I go to like one of the directors and I saw he already like had it done. You know, the thing I was like, what the heck? I was like working on this for you. And he's like, well, what, what took you so long? I'm like, well, you know, I built this predictive model. And he goes, but this was like an ad hoc, like one-time thing. Like um, we're not predicting things in the future. This was it. You just needed the report. That was all I needed. <laughs> so I really, I'm like, wait, so I wasted a whole week where I could have just literally manually, I could have gone one by one row in Excel, just looked at this manually and decided whether this was like fraud or not. Meanwhile, I tried to do this grandiose thing. And the company doesn't care what you use, like what how you got something done. They care about how you got it. They, they you got it done. The director took that report. He went presented it somewhere. And called it a day and then moved on to the next day. He didn't care if I used Python, Excel. I could have used like Microsoft Paint if I was able to. As long as you got the job done, that would have been that would have been sufficient. So that's when I started focusing. Okay, I'm like stop with the fancy stuff. Just try to solve problems for people. And uh, like I mentioned before that we were talking about, once you start solving problems for people, they're coming going to come to you for more suggestions. You're going to start having more influence and things are going to become easier for you. So I would start with solving the things they wanted me to. If you were doing it in Excel, I would do it in Excel as well. And then maybe after some time, like, hey, I know you like to do this in Excel, but have you tried maybe using Python for this? Let me show you how. And because I helped you last time, now you want me to help you again. If I, if I come like the first time and you ask for my help and I totally waste your time and don't help you, the next time you're not going to, you're not going to want to help my, uh, you're not going to want to help, uh, or work with me again. So that's why, you know, it's again, is building up the confidence of the people, making them feel like, okay, this is the person I should go to solving their problems. And eventually slowly you start introducing things for yourself. So what I had working at Verizon was Monday through Thursday, we would do our regular work. And on Fridays, we were able to work on like kind of like whatever we want. They called it uh, Blue Sky Fridays. So that was when I would experiment with new tools. I would experiment with different things. And if you don't have that at your company, you can always talk to your manager and be like, hey, I'm willing to stay like an hour or whatever too, or after I finish my work. I want to try things in Python or we don't use R in this uh, in this company, but I want to experiment with that. 
and try to show you that this could be a like a next tool that we could switch to. So doing 80% of the time uh, what your company is asking and 20% kind of like what you have great visions, especially as a young analyst, that kind of is going to make you stand apart and is going to show your company that, you know, you're really thinking big. You're not just here to just solve X, Y, and Z and just call it a day, trying to balance both. So you also discussed on your YouTube channel how important a work-life balance is. How could someone who wants to climb the corporate ladder achieve their professional goals while also being able to strike a good balance? I think for a lot of young people and especially previous generations, it's tough because we were always taught about that mentality, like you got to hustle hard, you got to do whatever it takes. For me, it wasn't that. I think I set the boundaries when I started. When I started at Verizon, it was kind of like, what do I work till? Like, you know, you work like 8 to 4.30, 4.30 on the dot. I was out the door. Like, don't schedule a meeting at me at 4.30. I'm like, every once in a while, don't get me wrong. It's like every once once a month or like every other month or something, sometimes things come up. I'm not that inflexible. You know, you don't want to be that person like, no, like this is not going to happen because then people are not going to like you again, right? You want to be like, but at the same time, I didn't want people to make it a a habit of kind of doing that with me. And I've had conversations with people where they're like, well, Antonio, uh, because I like to, I used to like to come early. So I would come in at like seven o'clock and then like leave by, leave by like four. And they would schedule like a four o'clock meeting with me. And I'm like, okay, can we, why don't you schedule like a seven when I'm here? And they're like, well, I'm not here. I'm like, okay, if you need me, just, you know, come in earlier. So it was, it's a little bit tough as for some people because like, oh, can you really say that? But again, it's about having confidence. And knowing knowing what you're there for. Um, and I always said to people, if I tell my boss that if we agreed at the beginning, like we're going to work before 30 or whatever it is, and I really need to go and my family matters to me, and you don't like that, then you're not a boss I want to work for, right? I like to work for, for people who have the same values as me. When I interviewed at Google, my wife was like nine months pregnant. And I'm interviewing with the manager and people are like, oh, you know, you should maybe you should keep it quiet. I went in there and they're like, do you have anything we can discuss? I'm like, my wife can literally like pop any minute. If she gives birth, I'm taking like I need time off, you know, and doesn't matter if it's like my second day at work. If we have a baby, like you're not going to see me for the next month. And they said, OK, so my wife ended up giving birth. Like two or two and a half weeks later, I ended up taking a month off. It was totally normal. I mean, a lot of people, it turns out a lot of people had actually done that. And it was like a totally normal thing at the company. But if I never asked, I could have been like working through it, you know, because it's kind of like that hustle culture. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you just ask and the worst thing they can say is no. And maybe you're like, okay, then I don't want to work for you. <laughs> Yeah, so setting your boundaries was really did it serve you well. Right. How do you see AI and data-driven models evolving in the future? And are there any particular areas of growth that you're you know eager to see? I think if you look at the numbers, I mean I've always heard about these numbers about, but they say 80, 85% of like AI projects fail. And it's not because of technology reasons 
It's not because like, oh, the technology is so complex. That's why we can't implement this ML or this AI at the company. It's always about communication. And we've been talking a lot about it during this podcast, but it's really, really true because to implement some great models that are going to be enterprise driven, it's going to affect the whole company. You need a lot of people working together. You're not going to be that one person who's just going to come in and just like, oh, I have the greatest uh, answer to everything. And uh, I'm going to solve all your problems with myself. Because if you were, you'd probably start your own company. You know, you wouldn't be working somewhere else. So you kind of, that needs that communication. So the I'm e- eager to see is more, a lot more people are talking about value. The buzzword in the past, I don't know how many years was always like, AI, AI, everybody's using data, everybody's data-driven and the stuff. Very few companies are actually data-driven. They're at best like data-informed, meaning they kind of look at the data and then they actually make a decision based on still their own experiences rather than just doing exactly what the data is telling them. But I am very excited about people trying to take a step back and instead of trying to think like, how much data can we collect? Let's just get this so much data in our company. People are starting to think about quality and trying to be smart about how the data they're collecting and how they're going to use it. I'm not as eager to see. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of technological changes that happen so often. Um, but I, the area I'm most excited about is people actually taking a step back and be like, all right, like, how can we actually do something smart with this data rather than just trying to build up a lot of things? And most of it never ends up being used. What is some advice you would give yourself five years ago, career-related or otherwise? I think that uh, one, I rushed a lot through school. Like when I was learning, let's say Python, for example, in the beginning, I was always like, okay, let me solve the assignment. You know, I want to get a great, good grade on this and I want to get an A. And I learned how to like web scrape and code and stuff like that very, very dirty way. It was just about like, I, I, I want to get this assignment done just so I can go, can go out and like, or do something else. And while I know how to do that, uh, like brute force coder, I guess I can, I would say for myself, it's if I would have taken the time and do it more kind of like by the book, maybe learn more like the object oriented programming better. Uh, it would have benefited me more. And not because I need it in my current area, but I think for some of the some of other roles that I've looked into, if I wanted to evolve in, uh, some of that is more needed. If I build like a stronger foundation for like um, like I, uh, for algorithmic structures and things like that and how to structure my code better, it would have saved me a lot of time uh, now in my career because I've had to go back and like re- uh, relearn these things. Because when I was in school, it was always like, I don't care how I got this, as long as I got the answer and I, I solved this problem, <laughs> I'm good. And uh, now you're like, wait, maybe I should have paid more attention in this class <laughs> and actually taken the time for it. Uh, but I guess that comes with age, um, because once when we're in college, there's a lot more important things. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to the Data Dad podcast, Antonio. I loved hearing your story about breaking into the data science field, hearing about your book and YouTube channel, and your current data-driven work at Google. If you want to check out Antonio's website, YouTube channel, or book, 
They will all be linked in the description of this episode. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow us and rate us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for more Data Dive podcast episodes like this one. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.